morning, everybody. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, grab them, and, uh, and you can be seated. We're going to be jumping into the book of Proverbs again. I am thoroughly enjoying this study, and I, I hope that you're enjoying it as well. But if you're not, I'm enjoying it. So, And uh, I, I was looking ahead over the next couple lessons, and of course, we'll end. It's going to be exciting to end Proverbs with a study of the Proverbs 31 woman. But what I like about Proverbs is that it, it covers so many different subjects. As I mentioned last time, it, it does make it difficult because you do a lot of bouncing from subject to subject. But as I was looking ahead, we're going to have to pause on a couple verses and spend a little time. Uh, two weeks from now, we'll be looking at why Christians don't drink alcohol and why we refrain from that. And, uh, and you find the launching pad for that study in the book of Proverbs. How I many think that's a relevant thing to talk about? And we're also going to be looking uh, in that same lesson at why Christians refrain from dyeing their hair and changing their hair color. And you launch that from the book of Proverbs as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of powerful truths in Proverbs uh, if you take time to, to mind them. And so we're in part seven. Everyone said hallelujah. Part seven, God's perfect number. And, uh, and I'm going to take you to the next slide, and we're going to begin looking at scriptures uh, concerning relationships. Everyone said relationships. Wisdom concerning relationships. And we're going to begin this in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 13. The Bible has a lot to say about how we interact with one another, how we interact with our family, how we interact with friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, how we interact with strangers. Uh, the Bible is concerned with how we treat one another. And, and Proverbs has a lot to say about relationships, especially concerning our conversation. As human beings, we have the unique capacity it makes us different from the animals. It makes us different from, uh, from the rest of creation in that we have the ability to communicate with one another through speech and language, through words. And it's a very powerful thing. I've connected this many times to why God chose the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost to be what? Speaking in other tongues. Because our language is what sets us apart from the animals. And our language can be used for great good, and language can be used for great evil. And as Christians, we have to guard our conversation. We have to guard how we interact with one another through our words and through language. God cares very, very much about this. This isn't something that God is casual about. And if we're casual with our words, we will harm people and we will displease God. And so we're going to look at Proverbs 18 and 13. Here's what it says. It says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Did anybody feel a wave of conviction? Just <laughs> did you know God cares about about it when we rush to judgment, when we rush to pronounce things, when we don't have all the facts? Christians should be very, very careful that we don't start casually or carelessly talking about things that we don't know about. And by the way, that is the foundation of gossip. The foundation of gossip 
the foundation of slander, the foundation of false witness, the foundation of false testimony, the foundation of all of those things is people who are willing to pronounce judgment and speak about things before they've gathered all of the facts. And, you know, I tell people often when someone will, uh, you know, every once in a while someone will try to gossip to me. I know that never happens to any of you, right? No one ever tries to gossip to you. But every once in a while someone will try to gossip to me. No one in this church, of course, but one of the first things that I always say if someone starts trying to talk to me about someone else is I'll say, well, have you spoken to them about this? Have you talked to them about this? Well, no. Well, then I'm not going to talk to you about it because until you've talked to them and you've put the effort into gathering all of the information that you possibly can and going to the source, then you and I shouldn't be talking about this yet because we, there's things that we may not know. You ever heard the expression, there's always two sides to every story? One of the things that I found in, in life uh, it was a hard lesson for me to learn uh, is that in any situation where someone has been wronged, maybe in a marriage uh, or in a friendship where someone has been wronged, if you listen to them, it's always going to sound like the other person was 100% in the wrong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But then if you talk to that other person, it's going to sound like this guy over here was 100% in the wrong. In reality, it's very rarely cut and dry. It's very rarely where one person is 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong. Usually, there's a good bit of blame that can be spread around. Amen? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and what often happens is you've heard the expression, hurt people hurt people. And so what often happens is someone gets hurt by someone and then they hurt that person back. And then they hurt that person back, and the cycle keeps on going back and forth. And listen, if you get in a really convoluted situation, you can get years down the road, and you can't even figure out who started the hurting. And it doesn't even matter who started it anymore. All that we know is there's a problem. People are hurting one another. There's pain. There's been lies. There's been false witness. There's been slandering. There's been gossip. And here's what you have to do as a Holy Ghost person. You've got to get in an altar and forgive. Yes, you do. You have to forgive. You have to put it under the blood. And what Christians can't do is we can't get caught up in the game. Well, he did it first. You ever hear that before? Well, they did it. They started it. You know what that sounds like? My seven-year-old son. Sounds like my seven year. Well, she started. No, Daddy. He no. He he kicked my Legos over first. No, 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 no. He knocked my Play-Doh down first. See, when, as grown-ups, we shouldn't be doing that. As children of God, we should be saying, "Listen, I want to strive for unity with my brothers and sisters. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forget. I'm going to put it on the altar. It doesn't matter who started it. I want my heart to be right. That'd be a great place to say, Amen. <laughs> Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. So we need to make sure we've gathered the information before we talk about it. Verse 14, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a crushed spirit? Could anybody testify with me that the most painful things in your life weren't sickness or pain in your body? It was emotional hurt, emotional pain. When your spirit gets crushed, when, 
when your soul is suffering. That's far more painful than, than physical sickness. And so that's why it's so important that we strive to have right relationships with people. Verse 17, the first to speak in court sounds right. Now, here we are going back to this concept of, uh, you know, you can hear one person's side of the story and then there's a second side to the story. So the first person to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. And so here, God's word is letting us know that we need to be careful once again to gather all of the facts, listen carefully, and understand that there's usually more to the story than what seems to be on the surface. Verse 19, an offended friend. Everyone said offended. You know, I don't think there's anything more important for the church to guard themselves from than offense. Offense is a soul killer. Offense will destroy churches. Offense destroys relationships. Offense is why children won't speak to their parents and parents won't speak to their children. Offense is why uh, friendships are destroyed. The root of most relational problems comes down to somebody got offended. Somebody's spirit got offended somewhere. And I see this in, in the modern church. Offense destroys revival because you can't come and really give God your best worship. You can't come with a spirit of unity. You can't receive the word of God. You can't be in right relationship with your family, your church family, your pastor. You can't be in right relationship with God when you are harboring a spirit of offense. Now, listen, offense comes to us all. We've all been offended. Anybody been offended before? I've been offended. We all get offended. But offense, when you let it fester, becomes a deep, deep problem. It becomes a wound in your spirit that will lead you to other sins. It will lead you to anger. It will lead you to gossip. And for example, most people who gossip, gossip because they're offended about something. Most people who lie, lie because they're offended about something. Most people fight and strive and argue and even physically harm people because they're offended at somebody. Offense is the root of almost every relational sin. Offense is what is at the bottom of all of that. And as Christians, we have to be able to get down on our knees and say, Lord, I'm not going to allow my pride because here's the, here's the root of offense. You know what the root sin of offense is? Anybody know what I mean when I say a root sin? Underneath every sin, there's usually a greater sin that's causing that sin. Everybody okay? There's a root sin. There's a seed sin that's down underneath all of that. And often as Christians, what we do is we deal with the surface sin. But there's a root down there that you can't see. This sin grew because you've got something under the ground that is causing it to grow. And so we deal with the surface stuff like anger. Anger is a surface sin. You can see anger, but anger is a result of something much deeper. You can see offense. Can you? <laughs> it's going to get real quiet. But you can tell when somebody's offended, can't you? Even if they don't say it, you can see it on their face. People get that expression. And you can sense it in their body language. You can sometimes the silent treatment. Some of your husbands say, amen. 
get that silent treatment. Why? Because someone's offended. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You men are cowards. You're not going to respond at all. Because you don't want to get the silent treatment going home. The silent treatment, all of that, that's, an, that's, a, that's a surface problem that you can see. But do you know what the undergirding sin of almost all of the things that we've just talked about, anger, pride, offense, the root sin is pride. Everyone said pride. A prideful spirit is an easily offended spirit. And so if you're one of these people who is offended very, very easily. Now, listen, we all have legitimate reasons to be offended. Anybody ever had a legitimate reason where you, you I mean, it was a good reason to be offended. We've all had that. But if you're one of these people that everything offends you, I mean, somebody just looks at you wrong and you're offended, do you know, do you know where that comes from? It comes from pride. Because a humble spirit is not an easily offended spirit. A humble spirit forbears one another in love. A humble spirit is what? What is the fruit of the spirit? Meekness, long, Do you know what long-suffering means? It just means suffering long. And so sometimes in relationships, you have to be willing to be patient, meek, and long-suffering. Do you know, what that, you know what the root of all of that is? Humility. When you have a humble spirit, you can suffer, suffer long. When you have a prideful spirit, everything offends you. Everything angers you. If you see someone who gets angry easily and they have an anger problem... They have a temper problem. Pride is at the root of that because, because they feel like nobody's treating them the way they deserve to be treated. It's a victim spirit, and I, I'm not getting what I deserve. People aren't treating me the way I deserve to be treated. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus humbled himself. He, he allowed himself to be of no reputation. He was God manifest in the flesh. And he was willing to let people argue with him. He was willing to let people disagree with him. You know, Jesus could have come to the earth and said, you will agree with me or you'll never speak again for the rest of your life. Can you imagine if we humans had the power to just strike people mute immediately? <laughs> if you could just say, be quiet and it shall be done. There'd be mute people all over Atlanta. Hardly anybody would be talking. <laughs> In fact, there'd be times when I go to Walmart and I'd just be hitting the mute button all over the... We would. That would. That's what we would do. Because thank, thank the Lord that we don't have that power because we need to be like Jesus. Jesus let people. He, he, because he humbled himself. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He chose to be sinless. He chose to rid himself of pride. Even though he was God, manifest in the flesh, he humbled himself. And who are we as human beings to, be, to do anything less than what Jesus was willing to do? Humble ourselves. Love one another. Jesus said this. He said, here's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. Here's how they're going to know. Beyond the theology. You need to have right theology. You need to, have, you need to understand the Bible. You need to do all these other things. But here's how people who don't know anything about your theology, here's how they're going to know you're my disciples. By your love for one another. Glory to God. You know, we can have our holiness just right. We can have our, our theology on tongues just right. We can baptize people just right. We can do our dance just right. We can do our praise just right. And if we don't love one another, 
we're not his disciples. That's right. If we hate one another. And you know, I'm, I'm often amazed. It's kind of a funny thing. We, as Christians, we understand that uh, we need to love the lost. Anybody understand we need to love the lost? This is something that struck me. And, and I'd never, I, I've always kind of had it in the back of my mind, but it never really hit me full on. But I've noticed this with church people. I've, grown, I've been my whole life in church, my entire life. And, you know, I've noticed that church people, we, we find it fairly easy to love the lost. Don't you? I, I do. I find it easy to love the lost. But do you know where we have the most trouble with our brothers and sisters that come to church with us? Yeah. That's where we get in the most trouble because we, uh, and I understand we expect more from saved people. We expect saved people to act a certain way, and, and when they don't, it's disappointing. I understand all of those things. We expect sinners to be sinners. We expect sinners to hurt us. We, we understand that, and so we have grace for that. But Jesus was very, very, very clear. You cannot be saved and hate your brother and sister in the Lord. And that's usually where we struggle. And we preach and teach a lot about it. we need to love the lost. When the prodigal comes home, we need to have a party. And I'm glad we preach and teach on that. And, and there are rare churches that really struggle with that. But for the most part, people understand we need to love the lost. And we do. But where we get messed up is with our brothers and sisters. Because if you live for God long enough, it's just like a family. You know, we talk about the church being the family of God. The Apostle Paul made that analogy over and over again. We're a part of the, the body of Christ, the family of God. That's why we call each other brother and sister. You ever wonder why we say Brother Collins, Brother Mueller? The reason we do that is because we're grafted into the body of Christ. We're the family of God. And so spiritually, you're my brother. Spiritually, you're my sister. In fact, it's a stronger bond than blood, really, because when you are, because we share the blood of Jesus. Amen? Blood relation is a powerful thing, but the blood of Jesus is far more powerful than any earthly DNA could ever be. And so we are bound together by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. That means we're the family of God. And let me tell you something about family. Family sometimes has family trouble. Perfect families in the house today. Perfect families. Anybody have a perfect family here? No, none of us do. We understand in our family that every once in a while there's going to be a, there's gonna be a, a disagreement. Sometimes there's going to be a hurt feeling. Sometimes with, in fact, sometimes with family, uh, we're to, you know, when you live together or when you're close together, you're together so much that it, there's more likelihood that, uh, that there's going to be a disagreement or something pop up that's a little bit frustrating. We, we kind of learn everyone's uh, uh, little strange things. Uh, my wife looked at me one time after we had been married for about six months, and, sh and she said, I didn't know that you were so strange. <laughs> yes, you did. You don't remember that? She sure did. Don't let her shaking her head fool you. And I'll tell you what it probably was. She didn't realize. Now, the Lord's delivered me from this. But when we first got married, well, mom, I'm going to be careful. But I, I had not gotten the revelation of what it meant to hang your clothes up after you were done wearing them. 
mom really did try hard, but here's the problem. When I was a teenager, uh, I had the same bed my entire childhood. When I was a little kid, I got one of those little day beds. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like a twin-size bed, and it's real high, and you can put a mattress underneath it, and then if you want to, you could pull the mattress out, and it's like a, a bigger bed. Well, I never had the mattress that went underneath it, so it was just a big open space about two feet tall, and then I had a, a comforter that went from the bed down to the floor, so it was completely covered. There's this big open space. So you didn't know where my clothes went? Underneath the bed in that big open space. And then I'd make the bed, and I'd cover that up. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I'm glad the kids are up in Sunday school right now. I don't want them to get any ideas. And so I, I, I didn't have the revelation of what it meant to hang your clothes up. I'll never forget the first time I just kind of tossed my suit jacket to the side, and my wife just looked at me like, you didn't really just do that, did you? And, uh, and I've since repented. I'm saved now. God is good. Thank the Lord. Hallelujah. We, we get to know one another, and so there's, there's always the chance that we're going to start seeing the things up close. But you know what families do? Families love one another through all of that. They work through those things. They don't say, well, I'm out the door. No, no, no. They say, I'm going to work this out. I'm here. I'm in this family. I'm a part of this family. You're my brother. You're my mom. You're my dad. You're my sister. And so I love you. I need you to change. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that way before? We need to get some things adjusted, but I love you. That's what families do, and the family of God is no different. Wow, I spent way too long on this. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Wow. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Offense is a powerful thing. Arguing that results from offense is a powerful thing. Verse 24, there are friends... Notice the quotation marks there. That's on purpose. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Wow, that makes that powerful, doesn't it? But if we're going to be like Jesus, we have to do the same thing. We have to stick together. We have to love one another. We have to lay our arguments down, lay our offenses down. And, you know, listen, sometimes people are wrong, but if you're arguing in a marriage, if, if you're arguing and someone wins, you both lost. Some of you married folks need to write that down. That's a good revelation for you. If you're in a marriage and, you're, and, and every time you have a disagreement or, or an argument and your sole goal is to win the argument, you both lost. And if you win, you really lost. Yeah. And so in a marriage, you have disagreements and you might even argue. But but in a healthy marriage, what you do is you start trying to work it to where you both win because you love one another enough to say, we're going to do this to where we can both find common ground. We can both come to a place where I may have to compromise a little. You may have to compromise a little bit. Maybe we'll both have to adjust our thinking a little bit. But you can't go into it with the mindset that I'm going to win this even if I crush their spirit. You'll destroy your marriage. And it's the same in any relationship. Real friends stick closer than a brother. Real friends never seek to destroy one another. And one of the most dangerous ways we can destroy someone is with our words. Proverbs 19:11. Sensible people control their temper. Someone said, "Praise the Lord." They earn respect. Listen, they earn respect by overlooking 
We need to read that out loud. They earn respect by overlooking wrong. Well, you just don't understand what they, they earn respect by overlook. Well, they spoke to me that they earn respect by overlooking. Well, they gave me a dirty, they earn respect by overlooking wrong. You know, if you want to have right relationships with people and you want to love people, every once in a while you're going to have to let a wrong go. Yes, you are. Every once in a while you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm letting it go. Because if you hold on to every wrong, you won't have a relationship with anybody in this world. No, you won't. Because, listen, you, you know someone long enough, here's what's going to happen. They're going to do you wrong. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the nicest, friendliest, godliest person in the world. You spend enough time with someone, they're going to do something wrong that hurts your spirit. I don't care who they are. And you have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm putting that under the blood. You know what? I'm putting that under the blood. Every once in a while, the wrong might be serious enough where you have to do like the Bible says and go to them and talk to them about it and work it out and pray it out and do all of those things. That's right and good. Sometimes you have to make it right. But in the end, you're going to have to start overlooking some wrongs. I'm not going to let that offend me. Refusing to have an offended spirit is a choice. You make a choice just like you choose to be humble. The apostle Peter said it this way in his letter. He said to be clothed in humility. That means it's like a garment. You have to wake up every morning and as cold as it is, we could have all put on winter jackets. Hey, man, that would have been a good thing. You choose to put on humility just like you choose to put a winter jacket on. I did not put a winter jacket on this morning, and so when I stepped out of the front door of my house, I was so cold, I couldn't believe it was Georgia. I thought I was in Chicago. It was freezing. And so the consequence of me refusing to put a jacket on is that I was cold from my house all the way to the church, and then I came in the church shivering. When you refuse to wake up and clothe yourself in humility, the consequence is that you're going to go through your day offended, angry, and frustrated. And so as Christians, we have to say, I'm putting on the garment of humility. I'm, I'm replacing the spirit of heaviness with the garment of praise. I'm, I'm going to take these old dirty garments off and I'm going to put spiritual garments on. I'm going to put the garment of joy on. I'm going to put the garment of long suffering on. I'm going to put the garment of meekness on. And I'm going to go through my day living the way God wants me to live. It's a choice. You know, people think that humility is just something you have naturally. Humility isn't something the human spirit comes across naturally. You have to make a spiritual decision to be a humble individual. It's a choice. Well, it's just the way God made me. No, no. Sin, sin comes into the human heart of every sing single human being in this world. Our flesh is corrupted by sin. God didn't intend for us to be that way. That's why he died on the cross and fills us with his spirit so that we can overcome the old man and be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And so if Christians can't go through life saying, well, that's just the way God made me. No, Jesus died for you so you could live a redeemed life and you could be like Jesus. So you wouldn't have to be like the old man and you wouldn't have to live like the old woman so that you could be renewed day by day. By the Spirit of God. Proverbs 20 and 3. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Verse 6. Many will say they are loyal friends. But who can find one who is truly reliable? 
Don't you want to be that friend? Don't you want to be that person who's truly reliable? Do you know nothing will advance you in life, whether it's in your job? You want to know how to get ahead on your job? Be truly reliable. Do you want to know how to be used of God? Be reliable. You, you say, well, I, I want to be used in the church. Be reliable. Jobs can't use unreliable people, and the kingdom of God can't use unreliable people. That'd be a great place to shout amen. If you can't be, you know, if you want to be used in the house of God and you're not reliable, you wouldn't approach your job that way. If they can't depend on you to show up, then they're not going to be able to use you. They're not going to be able to promote you. They're not going to be able to set you up in a, as an example. It's the same way in the kingdom of God. If, if we're not sure if you're going to show up, we can't use you. And so here's the mark of a true friend. You be reliable. Are you a friend of God? Be reliable to the kingdom. Are you a friend of Jesus? Be reliable in your life, not just on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday. Can God trust you to leave an apostolic church service full of the Holy Ghost? and walk in the Holy Ghost on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That is what it means to be a friend of Jesus. You're reliable. Someone shout reliable. Truly reliable. All right, we've got to move. Take you to the next slide, and we're going to talk about wisdom concerning marriage and family. Someone said, uh-oh. Wisdom, <laughs> wisdom concerning marriage and family. We're not going to go too deep because we're running out of time. Proverbs 18, 22 the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and the men need to say, praise the Lord, amen. That was so weak. Y'all need to say that better. Praise the Lord. Boy, we need, pastor, we're going to have to do some marriage classes or something. These men need help. My God, help them, Lord. In Jesus' name. <laughs> The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. Glory. I heard too many women having to say amen for their husbands. Wow. We just identified a problem. We're going to have to go into travail. And <laughs> he receives favor from the Lord. My God, that's powerful. So the man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. You think God cares about marriage? Absolutely. Do you think God believes that marriage is, is, is a sanctified, holy thing? You bet he does. He absolutely. Marriage is a, is a holy, sacred covenant before God, and God cares very much about your marriage. Yes, he does. Proverbs 19.26 I'll get a whole lot of amens on this one. Children who mistreat their father. Pastor, that, I know you're shouting amen inside right now. Or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up because, well, for many reasons. It's in the Bible, but the way we treat our parents as Christians matters. The way we honor our elders, of course, we understand we need to honor our elders. But whether you're 4 or 44 or 444, you need to honor your father and mother. Yes, you do. You need to give them honor. 
And, and let me just give a little advice to, to parents here. If you dishonor your father and mother, you're going to have a very difficult time expecting honor from your children. Do you know how you're going to teach your children to honor you? It's not going to be by demanding, you better respect me, I'm your mom, I'm your dad. No, here's, here's how you're going to teach them. You're going to model it by honoring your father and mother. Well, pastor, my father and mother, they're not alive. They don't live close by. You honor them in your conversation. The way you talk about them. Their memory. If you tear them down, if you tear down their... Now, maybe you had a less than honorable father and mother, but did you know that you can still give honor to the office of father and mother, even if you can't necessarily honor every part of their life? If your father and mother uh, are or were sinners... You don't honor their sin, but you honor the office of father and mother. That's my father. That's my mother. I'm going to be very careful about how I, I talk about them. I'm going to choose to love them. I'm going to choose to respect them as my parents. That doesn't mean you respect every single thing they ever did. If they were an alcoholic, you don't honor alcohol, but you say, that's my father. That's my mother. I choose to honor them. And when you do that, you will give an example that your children will produce in their lives towards you. And honoring fathers and mothers is a powerful thing. And God pays close attention to how we treat elders and our families. God cares about this. In fact, there was, there was very terrible consequences in the Old Testament if you were to mistreat your father and your mother. And so we give honor to parents. We give honor to them as the office of those who God used to bring life, bring us uh, and give us life in this world. Proverbs 19, 13, I've got to move fast. A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife, oh, okay, guys, I'm going to give you a little advance warning. This is not the place to say amen. This is the part where you stay quiet, okay? Hallelujah. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping. Did you know that was in the Bible? All right, so we know that to be true. So let me just pause and talk to single people for a moment here. You need to use wisdom when you're seeking God's will for your spouse. It's not just about how they look. I hope we're not that hope we're not that carnal. You need to use wisdom because who you marry is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. It will affect you for the rest of your life because God has ordained that marriage be between one man and one woman until death do us part. Well, I can't stand I had one guy tell me, I can't stand to hear her voice, but she's so beautiful, you better run. You better run because marriage is for a lifetime. And uh, listen, those looks are going to fade, but that voice is going to stay. So you be careful when you're choosing your spouse. Proverbs 20 and 7, the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Did you know if you walk with integrity, your children will be blessed? How many want your kids to be blessed? Walking with integrity will bless your family. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children while there is hope. 
Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. So we're instructed to discipline our children. You know, uh, I'm closing, but in Solomon's day, they didn't have psychology books and parenting books and all these things that we have today. They didn't understand child psychology that, you know, they didn't have all these studies that said, you know, children form by the time they're 13 and, and uh, their personality begins to fully develop by the time they're 14 and any correction you're going to do needs to be done before the preteen years. They didn't, but they had wisdom from God and the wisdom said this, you need to make sure that you're disciplining while there's still hope in their life because there's going to come a place when they're 19 years old and you're trying to play catch up and get the things out of their life that you should have been dealing with when they were 11 and 12. You're going to have a hard time going back and fixing that by the time they're 18 or 19 or 16 because you've already missed the moment. As a parent, you need to be involved while there's hope, while they're young. Be loving, correcting, disciplining. Don't be afraid to discipline because you're not doing them any good by refusing to correct them because you want them to grow up to be an adjusted, well-rounded Adult who is full of integrity, full of faith, and full of goodness in their heart. And as parents, that's our high calling. You know, there's no greater calling than to see your children grow and flourish in the Lord. That's our first calling. Listen, I, I'm thankful that God called me to ministry at Apostolic Tabernacle. But do you know where my first priority is? It's seeing my son speak in other tongues. It's seeing my daughter baptized in Jesus' name. It's seeing them grow up because that's my first calling. And if I had to give up this calling for that calling, I would choose that calling every time because that's my family. That's what God called me to do first is to be a parent to my children. It's a high calling. Why don't we lift our hands and pray for our kids and grandkids right now? Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray that you'd help us, God. Some of us missed opportunities. I pray that you'd give us grace and mercy. Give us an opportunity to make a difference even today, Lord, in your grace. We give you praise. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right.